Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. We are a member of the Edify Podcast Network. Download the Edify app and find more great Christian podcasters today. I would greatly appreciate it if you did me a favor. Would you please follow me on Faithful? Faithful is a new social media site strictly for Christian content creators. You're able to see the things that you want to see without it being lost in feeds like you find on Facebook and Instagram. It's crazy on Facebook, for example, if you're a page, only about 10% of the people that follow your page actually get to see your content. Faithful is a great way for me to provide you content and also exclusive content, such as this podcast being released a few days early on Faithful for contributing partners. So go to faithful.place and find me, Discerning Dad. There's also a link in the show notes. I'm really excited for today's episode with Frank Turek. Would you please share this with a friend? It's definitely something you want to get out there. Frank has an amazing way with words, and I'm excited for this conversation starting right now. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Well, welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. My guest this week is Frank Turek. Frank is a dynamic speaker and award-winning author of four books. He is the president of crossexamine.org and shares powerful evidence of Christianity to churches and schools across the country. Frank hosts a TV show, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and a radio program, Cross-Examined with Frank Turek. Frank and his wife, Stephanie, have three adult sons. Frank, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, great being with you, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Awesome to have you on. Uh, I love your work. I love uh, your book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I listen to your podcast. Um, so you're doing a lot of awesome things. And on a show about discernment, I just had to have you on and talk about truth in a world that does not seem to recognize truth anymore. And so, um, yeah, I'm just excited that you're here. Anything else in your bio that you want to share with us? Uh, actually, our podcast now is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We name everything that now because that's really what we <laughs> focus on, the evidence for Christianity. So yeah. if people are interested in the podcast, look up I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We also have an app, uh, two words in the app store, cross-examined, and it has the TV show, the podcast, all that stuff on it. Very cool. So I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I know what that means, but for anyone that doesn't understand, why do you need faith to be an atheist? Uh, can you explain that, that the title and kind of how you came up with that? Sure. We were using the term faith in the way that the culture understands faith, not the way the Bible understands it. So typically the culture understands faith that if you don't have evidence, you just believe without evidence. It's blind faith, in other words. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Geiser and I, the, the, my co-author, Norman Geiser, uh, wrote the book which really was an argument for Christianity from the ground up. That's what the book is about. And it's our contention that using that definition of faith, it's the atheists that have to have all the faith because we don't think they have evidence for their worldview and they're overlooking so much evidence for the Christian worldview. So if anybody has to have blind faith, it's not the Christian, it's the atheist. Now, the real definition of faith is trusting in what you have good evidence to believe, mm. trusting in what you have good evidence to believe. That's what I think the biblical definition is. And uh, I actually think the evidence is very good that God exists and Jesus rose from the dead and therefore Christianity is true. And if that's the case, uh, I'm trusting in Jesus. I don't just believe that Jesus is the Savior. I'm trusting in him 
Right. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote that little book in the New Testament called James, says even <laughs> the demons believe that God exists, but they tremble. So yeah. they intellectually know that God exists and Jesus is the Savior. They don't trust in him. And so faith really means trust to the Christian. After you know that it's true, you trust in it. Now, who came up with the title? It wasn't me. It was actually Dr. Geiser. He and I were traveling the country for in the 90s, pretty much. And early 2000s, uh, we were doing a a program or a seminar called 12 Points to Show Christianity is True. And at one point, he was going through the fine-tuning argument for the universe, the fact that the universe is so fine-tuned, there must be some sort of designer out there. Yeah. And after he went through some of this evidence, he said, I just don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And I said, that needs to be the title (laughs) of the book, rather than the 12 points that show Christianity is true. So we wrote the book and we put that title on it. And interestingly enough, the 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 publisher didn't like the title. He said, "What? you don't like the title? Well, what, the, what, what do you want the title to be? And they said, the truth about truth. And we said, no, sorry. You know, if, yeah. if you don't want the title, we're going elsewhere with the book. And they they discerned that their position was wrong. <laughs> yeah. they, they said, okay, we'll go with the title. And the title, I think, has really helped the, the book do well, in addition yeah. to the content, obviously. Absolutely. I love the title. And it really makes you think, you know, because, uh, and I talk to atheists online too, and it's like, they just make this statement of like, I'm not making a statement. You have to prove what you believe. I'm just kind of, you know, making no judgment of my own. I'm just living in la la land, not choosing anything, <laughs> but just by by not choosing Christ, you are making a choice. You just don't want to think about it that way because of the ramifications that come from that. Uh, And so that's why it goes down this rabbit trail of like, well, what do I really believe and what do I actually have faith in? Because everyone has faith in something and and people today that just like to think that all roads lead to the same beautiful place, no matter what you do, uh, really does a disservice to their their eternal soul. It does. Yep, absolutely. So uh, when did you become a Christian? I became a, well, I always believed in God growing up. Uh, I'm in fact, I went to Catholic high school because I'm from New Jersey and it's the law. You have to be Catholic if you're from New Jersey. I don't know if you know that, but, uh, but I never Jewish, knew who right? Jesus was. What's that? You're Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. I got my dad's or a secularist now, but I just, I never knew who Jesus was growing up. And it wasn't until, uh, I got into the Navy after college that I met the son of a Methodist minister. And I had so many questions for this guy. He finally just said, well, you just need to get Josh McDowell books. Mm. Evidence demands a verdict more than a carpenter. So yeah. I read those books and I said, well, it looks like Christianity is true. I, I just became a Christian because I thought it was true that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. I always believed there had to be a God. There had to be a creator of the universe. I always knew that. That just seemed intuitive to me. Yeah. But I didn't know who Jesus was. And only by reading those books and you know talking to people did I come to realize that Jesus did rise from the dead. And then therefore, Christianity is true. And that was in 1985. I was still in the Navy till about 1992. And it wasn't until 1993 that I met Norman Geiser and my family and I moved here to Charlotte, North Carolina to go to Southern Evangelical Seminary. That was the seminary he had started, SES.edu, still a great place to go to get apologetics training. And, uh, and then one thing led to another. He, started, he and I started doing seminars together, and we wrote the book in 2004. Uh, and now, Dr. Geiser passed on a couple of years ago, but I've mm-hmm. been going to colleges, high schools, and churches to present the evidence that Christianity is true since about 2006 or seven, when we started crossexamine.org. That's awesome. I just had a uh, Sean McDowell on the program too, not that long ago. So 
Sean, what is he? Great know? guy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Sean is great. He's a yeah. lot of fun and he's, he's really good at what he does. I love, he has a lot of, uh, of uh, dialogues with skeptics. He's very yes. good at that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you go to, you go to college campuses, you, you kind of take the message to the, the kids, the, the people, the students. Uh, when, did, when did you start realizing that we can do this and how do you actually get invited or how do you, uh, how are you, I guess, now allowed to be on college campuses? How does that all work? Because I'm sure there's a lot of pushback from people. If it's a public school and a Christian group is a authorized group on campus, they can't prevent us from coming. Mm. Uh, yeah. The Supreme Court has talked about or ruled uh, that there's there can't be viewpoint discrimination. Christian group, the Christian group should be able to send a uh, or have a speaker on their group if an atheist group can have one. And yeah. so that's what happens. What happens is, is we get a someone in a Christian group to say, um, we want you to come. They email us. So they go to crossexamine.org. They, they go online. It says invite us to college or church and, and fill out this little form. And then we call them up or email them and say, okay, uh, when do you want to have us? And then yeah. we go through the process of coming. So we haven't been able to do that uh, since COVID started, but we're about to start here in a week or so. Uh, we're going to be yeah. at uh, Colorado Mesa University and then a, a college here in North Carolina, and then University of Cincinnati later this semester, and Marshall University. And so we've got some lined up now. But last year, most of 2020 and the spring of 2021, college, we couldn't go to colleges because students couldn't even go. COVID, <laughs> yeah, you know, so exactly. That's how it happens. We just get invited. So if anyone's out there wants to have us on a college campus and do I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist seminar, all they need to do is go to crossexamine.org, follow the cues, and we'll, we'll figure out a way of getting there. Yeah. That's great. And I would encourage everyone to check out the seminars you've had on campuses are very insightful. And the questions that come up are just <laughs> completely all over the place. Never know what you're going to get. And mm-hmm. uh, you do such a great job of uh, maintaining composure, talking about it rationally, intellectually. Has that been hard for you? Because I know a lot of people, once they just get pushed back on, especially people that come at you really strong, or is that just kind of your temperament to be able to do that? Because, you know, when, it, when I get a comment online or, you know, from a troll or, you know, in person, if people start, um, you know, bashing your faith, it's, it's easy to want to just defend it with everything in you and, and not show the love of Christ. But how do you, how do you, how would you say to, for other people that are maybe in a position, not on a college campus, but just on a one-on-one conversation or, you know, maybe in a hateful comment, how do you maintain that composure and show the love of Christ while also, um, you know, displaying the truth of the gospel? Yeah, good question. Uh, for me, personally, I'm not a patient person, and I'm easily, I can easily get annoyed. But for some reason, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, I don't know. For some reason, when I go to college campus, I just think to myself, first of all, why should this 19-year-old kid agree with me? I yeah. mean, when I was 19, I didn't agree with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, I shouldn't expect them to agree with me, number one. Uh, number two, I keep thinking of the Apostle Paul, who said, look, I was an insolent and arrogant man, but but Christ showed me grace and mercy. So everyone's at their own level of spiritual development at some, you know, at every point in their life. So there's no reason why I nearly 60 years old should expect some 19 year old kid to agree with me, especially when he's being, or she's being fed a whole bunch of nonsense by their professors or, or by their, the golden rectangle that everybody has, you know, their iPhone or their droid. Um, So I, you just got to be patient and say, okay, you know, 
I shouldn't expect this kid to agree with me. So let me just ask some questions. And I think the key to answering questions is to answer some questions back or to try and discover the assumption underneath the question. Right. Now, when you've got a whole number of people lined up to ask questions, you can't spend a lot of time doing this, but you can ask one or two questions to try. And, you know, if they say, well, if there's a good God, why is there evil? Well, what do you mean by evil? Right. Or by what yeah. standard? The God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament's evil. What do you mean by evil? What standard are you using? Where right. are you coming up with this? Right. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of times it's just pointing out the assumption underneath the question and the assumption underneath the question often isn't an assumption that an atheist, if it's an atheist questioner, has in their worldview arsenal, right? They don't no. have a standard of morality. Right. So why, how can they judge God evil if there's no objective standard of good out there? Yeah. They can't. So you got to point that out to them. Yeah. Yeah. I see that too. in in comments where they're like, well, how could God be evil or allow this to happen? It's like, well, you're just based on your question, you're assuming there is a God and now you just don't like the God that exists because it doesn't mm -hmm. fit your morality. Like you just yeah, go yeah. down this rabbit hole of you trying to tell God what to do uh, apart from just not believing God exists at all. And now you come to the terms with like, okay, I'm, I'm confessing almost that God exists, but I just don't like him. And then you almost become an anti-theist where you just don't want anything to do with God. And so, yeah, that's right. You know, it, 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 it's, it's a really tough conversation for, I think them to have is to bring up these points when it's already been thought out. These are not any new questions they bring up. And you do a great job of bringing this into your, your book and your messages where you equip Christians to be able to, um, you know, respond to these comments that sound, if you're not, you know, in the Bible, in the word, understanding what you believe and have a hope for the answer that lies within you, you're going to be, you know, uh, I think, caught aback by hearing these things, you know, or just like, well, you know, these are just mythologies, you know, from Horace and all these things. And if you don't know about those and know what, why they're different, uh, you'd be like, oh, wow, I never thought about that before. And that's what I fear happens to a lot of, you know, Christians that grow up in the church. And all of a sudden you hit colleges, when you hit, you know, being an adult, uh, then you really have to question, do is what I believe true? Or is it just my parents' faith? And then come to the terms with the evidence for the faith uh, that I guess demands a verdict, as Josh McDowell would say. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important um, to ask questions of people who are asking you questions. And, and, yeah. and the, the book that uh, I wrote after, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, is called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. And it trades on this idea that atheists are always stealing aspects of reality from the theistic worldview to try mm. and say God doesn't exist, like, for yeah. example, with evil. They're saying God is evil. They're presupposing a standard of good, but a standard of good, an objective standard of good can only exist if God exists, because that's what we mean by a standard of good outside of us that we're obligated to obey. That's God's nature. So only the, the, the only way they can come up with any kind of claim against God is to assume God exists. Right. They have to sit in God's lap to slap his face. So <laughs> that's. That's, yeah. you got to point that out. Otherwise, it's just one assertion against another assertion. Yeah, that's so good. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. 
So could you tell us about a time of discernment in your life when you had to make a decision and kind of what that looked like, how you heard from God, how you knew it was God, maybe it was a decision that didn't go well, but you learned something out of it just comes to mind in your life when you had to have discernment. Well, I'm probably, uh, not probably, I am a minority when it comes to decision-making in the Christian faith. Most Christians believe in what is known as the traditional view of decision-making, that God wants you to marry one person. He's got that one person. He's got one job for you. He's got one school you need to go to, whatever. You just need to discover what God has told you to do by the little hints that he gives you in your life, right? Yeah. And um That is probably 80% of Christians agree with that. The the other view is what's called the wisdom view, that God gives you a window in which you need to stay to make decisions. And anything that you choose in that window, you essentially have created God's will in your life. So for example, uh, who you marry, God just says, marry somebody in the Lord, marry a Christian, in other words, Uh, who is up to you, right? So he gives you that window and there's no hints or uh, fleeces you have to put out or, Oh, the song came on the radio at just the right time that <laughs> you must be for me. You know, right. that's what, that's what people who adhere to the wisdom view reject. They say, no, God doesn't normatively work that way. Could he work that way on occasion? Of course he could, but does he do it all the time? No, I don't think he does. Yeah. In fact, I always say to people, um, if, uh, if God were going to tell you what to do every day, why do you need it? Why do you need a Bible? Why do you need a book of Proverbs? Yeah. I mean, what's the point of that? Right. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> the point of that is to help you make wise decisions. And right. if God told you what to do every day, you would never become mature. You'd be like a, you would be like a kid who is the victim of a helicopter parent who never lets them make their own decisions, yeah. you know, doesn't give them the wisdom. They just keep telling them what to do all the time. And that never breeds maturity. So, I, I believe in in the wisdom view. Um, and so I try and make decisions based on what the word says and the window that God gives us and uh, and then just go from there. Now, there's a book out there. You probably know about it. It's called Decision Making in the Will of God. It's been out for like 40 years. It's written yeah. by Gary Friesen and Robert, Robin Maxim, I think. And that goes through both the views and lays out both of them. And after you read the traditional view, you go, oh, that's right. But then he starts reading, you read the wisdom view. You go, no, 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 that's right. (laughs) In any event, um, that's a good place to go for resources. Also, my friend Greg Kokel, who is a uh, apologist at Stand to Reason, has a three-part article on his website called Does God Whisper? Mm. Does God Whisper? So if you type in Kokel, K-O-U-K-L, and Does God Whisper, you'll find that. Yeah. And so that's... That's how I try and make decisions by the word and wisdom I get from other people and my talents, uh, you know, do my talents line up with this? Do my desires line up with this, this decision? So, yeah, that's good. And and I talk about that in my book too. The the three sources of discernment is, are the Bible, the Holy spirit and godly relationships and all of those Mm -hmm. kind of interplay. The Bible builds our foundation in our faith, but also the Holy spirit can quicken things to us in a moment if we need it. Um, but we also can't rely, like you're saying, on you know God to tell us everything to do every day because we make thousands of decisions a day, and right. so we have to be you know equipped in our own faith to be able to just go and do, and not just be you know arms crossed waiting on God to bring the right person to our doorstep. You know, for, like you were talking about relationships, and I mm-hmm. talk in my book too about discernment with relationships. You know, I remember you know I grew up in the '90s youth group culture. I kissed dating, dating goodbye, all that garbage, and there was this whole concept about waiting for the one. Like there's this yeah. magical person and just going to show up on your doorstep. And uh, there was a quote in my book too. uh, And it was basically that 
it's not the one, it becomes the one once you marry the person. Now that becomes the person you dedicate your time to. But the the Bible's never going to tell you in the Bible, like the person to marry, but like you said, the guidelines of who to marry, and then using wisdom of, you know, do our personalities match? Do we have the same life goals, the same faith goals, the same uh, desires on how we train our kids? Like all those practical things come into play too. And then it becomes, once you marry them, now they become the one for you. And there's no like, cause then what happens is like, you know, when you have an argument, then you wonder, well, maybe they're not the one, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. I made a wrong choice. And you start mm-hmm. questioning, you know, what should be held sacred, um, which is marriage and commitment for the rest of your life. Yeah, no, that last point you made there is very important. I think, Tim, because too often, if you take the traditional view that there is one and you followed the signs to the one, as soon as you do have trouble in the relationship, you start doubting. You say, I missed the sign, right? I got the wrong. You're not the one for me. There's somebody else out there. So it actually has the opposite effect of what you would expect. You would expect that if somebody thought, well, God told me this is the one that we would stick, you know, any trouble we'd have, we'd stick right through it. But it actually has the opposite effect. People think, oh, I missed the sign. So you're not for me anymore. I got to go find somebody else. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's a disaster, quite obviously. And when you get two broken people in one relationship, you're going to have trouble there. And, and people think, well, if this person is the one for me, we're never going to have trouble. No, that's not the case at all. Yeah. In fact, I heard a, a, an, actually a Catholic priest. I've heard of him saying this once he was he was officiating a wedding and he said this. He said, today you are getting married because you love one another from here on out you will love one another because you're married. Mm, That's good. Yeah. So everything flips once you get married. Now it's, we're married, whether we like it or not, we're going to seek what's best for the other person, even if we don't like them that day. Right. Whether the feeling is fleeting, which it will be many times, or whether the- Thankfully it will be. C.S. Lewis said, you couldn't live with that feeling for five years. Your hummingbird Mm. Or your, your, your heart beating like a hummingbird all the time. You can't concentrate on anything other than the other. You know, you don't yeah. want that feeling to last. You'd be you'd be disabled. Right. And when you chase the feeling, then that leads yeah. to all kinds of heartache and, and broken relationships when you just chase that feeling because it feels good in the moment, but it doesn't last. It doesn't, you know, lead to a deeper commitment that you find the, you know, couples that are 80 years old that are still holding hands. You right. know, that that's what is the deep relationship from years mm-hmm. and years of not perfection, but of two people committing to each other. So mm-hmm. I love that. Exactly. So uh, focus of the season is what we do every day to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's also a devotional I have. So what are some ways that you suggest that um, for you practically that you've kept your eyes on Jesus every day? And I imagine, you know, I'm just going to assume for you, you know, you see so much that you have to be aware of in the world and all these articles that you have to stay up on. And there's a lot of distractions just from anybody reading social media or the news. How do you stay grounded in your faith and not become swayed by, you know, one new thing after the other? Well, I think that just in the nature of what I do, I have to read a lot. I have to watch a lot. So it does keep me connected uh, to hopefully the truth. That's what we're we're trying to do. We're trying to stay connected to Jesus, who is the truth. He said, look, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Of course, yeah. that implies if you don't have the truth, you're in bondage, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, for the just in the nature of what I do, you, you have to do you have to stay connected uh, to what's going on in the world. And I, I find it hard to believe that people claim to be Christians, yet they disagree with Jesus. Mm. Why are you calling yourself a Christian if you disagree with Jesus? I mean, these, yeah. these so-called progressive Christians who A, are not progressive and B, are not Christians because you're not progressing when you're 
when you are actually deviating from what Jesus has taught. And you're yeah. not a Christian if you deviate from what Jesus has taught. So <laughs> why call yourself a Christian if you're not agreeing with Jesus? It would be like calling yourself a Buddhist and not agreeing with Buddhist doctrine. Yeah. Or being a Muslim, saying you're a Muslim and disagreeing with what the Quran and Muhammad taught. Or be <laughs> like being a Jew and claiming, and I know there are Jews that do this, they're ethnic Jews, but saying you're a religious Jew and, and disagreeing with everything Yahweh believed. Yeah. Right? Why would you call yourself that? <laughs> regressive Christians doesn't sound so good. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, call yourself something else, but you're not a Christian if you're disagreeing with Jesus. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's that's so true. Uh, and in a culture today, you know, that's so focused on personal truth, and everyone else needs to respect my truth, even at the expense of your own truth. How can Christians respond in this pressure to conform, which is usually a one-sided conformity, by the way? You know, just conform to what's popular instead of, well, you know, you say it personal truth is important. So then you have to respect my truth. Oh, no, no, I can't do that because now you're bigoted, you're racist, all these <laughs> names they throw at you. So how do we navigate this in a culture today that's so focused on this? When people say they have a right to live my truth, I'm going to ask them, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Okay. And, and see what they say, because that's a, that's a right claim, actually. That's a moral claim. So what do you mean, first of all, by my truth? And secondly, what do you mean by a right? Because rights only exist if God exists. If there's no yeah. God, there's no rights to anything. Everything's just a matter of opinion. It's right. your opinion against somebody else's opinion. So you're making a rights claim here. What does that mean? Who, where, where do rights come from? Do you think God has given you the right to live however you want? <laughs> you think any God, I mean, is there any God in history that has given you that right? Even yeah. false gods. Right. No, they all <laughs> make claims on how you should live, right? Yeah. So why do you think that you have a right to live a certain way? And then secondly, you might ask them, um, do I have a right to live my truth? And they're going to say, well, of course. <laughs> and then you can say, well, then why do you insist I live your truth? Mm, yep. Because you you want me to use certain pronouns with you. You want to force me to, if I'm a baker or photographer or caterer, you know, whatever, that I've got to participate in your same sex wedding. You know, yeah. you're forcing me. To live your truth, not my truth. You might also ask a couple other questions. When something like this comes up, you might say, by the way, I'm not suggesting any of this will work because people are not reasonable now. Right. I'm simply saying all you can do is be reasonable and let the results, lead the results to God. That's good. You might ask the person, do you consider yourself a tolerant person? What are they going to have to say? Well, of course. And then course. you can say, great, because if I express an opinion different from yours, you'll tolerate it then, then right? I mean, that's what tolerance is supposed to be, of course. Right. Uh, you might also ask, do you think you should force people or do you think people should force other people to violate their conscience? Mm. They're probably going to say no. Yeah. At that point, you can say, well, then why would you want to force me to violate mine? That's good. Yeah. So just asking questions like that, I think, is important. Uh, the book that my friend Greg Kokel wrote is very important in this regard. It's called Tactics. I don't know if you've seen you seen this book? I haven't seen that one yet. No. If you have not seen this book, tell everybody you know to, to read this book because it will help you and others uh, navigate conversations on difficult issues. It's called Tactics. Very cool. So, uh, in fact, when we do our training, we train a lot of people on how to be, how to better defend the faith. We, we only have two required books. Our book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist and Tactics, mm. because I don't have enough faith to be an atheist will give you the, the content you need to have. Tactics will, will, will help you share it in a way that 
is is um, winsome and in a way that you can control the conversation, right? It's it's yeah. easy to ask questions. It's hard to answer them. Yeah. So what tactics shows you how to do is how to ask the right questions. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. And I saw this morning too, uh, at the time of this recording, there was a philosopher teaching at Portland State University. He said today that he resigned because students are not being taught to think, rather they are being trained to mimic the moral certainty of ideologues. Is this... Students- w- would this in any way be Peter Bergosian? Uh, I didn't get the name, but it, uh, he just, it just came out this morning. So, but he resigned because of this. Um, students are not being taught to think, and I think I think that's what we're seeing is 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 just yeah. they're they're being taught to mimic what's the the sound bites of this generation instead of actually questioning these things, which is oh, exactly what you teach. Well, the interesting thing is there is a there is a professor there by the name of Peter Bergosian. I don't know if this is the guy that resigned. Uh, but um, Peter Bogosian is an atheist who wrote a book called A Manual for Creating Atheists. Mm. It's kind of like uh, an a, a atheist tactics book, how to ask questions to try and get people to become atheists. Yeah. But what Peter Bogosian has discovered in recent years is that his biggest allies when it comes to free speech are Christians. So he and Corey Miller, who is the head of a Christian a uh, campus group called Ratio Christi. These are apologetic groups on college campuses and high school campuses. He and uh, Corey Miller and Peter Bogosian have started to tour the country. Even though they disagree on the God question, they both agree that teaching good thinking skills and free speech yeah. are necessary. Yeah, it is him. And I just checked. Is it Bogosian yeah. that? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That just five, six years ago. Uh, Tim, this guy was one of the most militant atheists out there, and he might still be, mm-hmm. but he thought that the Christians were the enemy, and now he's figuring out, no, it's not really the Christians who are the enemy when it comes to our ability to communicate and to exchange ideas in the public square. It's yeah. these ideologues who are trying to shut down yeah. debate. It's the cancel culture. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> In fact, let me... Let me uh, read something I just uh, came across. Uh, the famous TV show Saturday Night Live, right? We yeah. all grew up on Saturday Night Live. There was a, a comedian on there years ago by the name of Rob Schneider. Remember mm-hmm. him? Yeah. Well, he, re- he recently said this about the show. He said, much late night comedy. Is, I think he's probably also talking about, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and you know, these other shows that are mm-hmm. on. He says, much late night comedy is less about being funny and more about indoctrination by comedic imposition. People aren't really laughing at it as much as cheering on the rhetoric. It no longer resembles a comedy show. It's more like some kind of liberal clan meeting. Wow. (laughs) I mean, think about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, just from looking at the change in that one show alone over the years, you know, the political season used to be funny because you could watch it and they'd make fun of yeah. both sides equally. And now it's like just completely one-sided and hard to watch sometimes. And it's interesting, too, that many comedians like Jerry Seinfeld, he will not go to a college campus anymore. Mm. He said, I can't. I, I can't make fun of anything without people getting offended. That's true. Yeah. And Bill Maher, who, as you know, has been a very outspoken atheist for many years. In fact, years ago, I was on his show several times called Politically or Correct. No, what was it called? Uh, Politically Incorrect. 
And um, in recent years, Bill Maher is starting to make sense because he's going against the leftist ideology that wants to cancel everybody and wants to say how evil America is. And, you know, I mean, he's he's starting to make sense. He's like Peter Boghossian. He's going, wait a minute. (laughs) Even Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist in recent years, has started to say, you know, I don't agree with Christianity, but it's better than Islam. You know, I yeah. don't want I don't want the Muslims taking over the UK. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's if you don't believe in God, I, I think when you see some of these conversations and when you see some of the sides that are being taken, you really have to start questioning what what do I believe and why do I believe it? And I a good example is you know the the abortion ban in Texas that came out and the one group that was opposing that openly. Well, I'm sure there was more than one, but the one that came up in the news was the satanic (laughs) cult, the satanic church. Mm -hmm. And because the abortions, uh, they said imposed upon the religious freedom to support child sacrifice or whatever, you know, they do (laughs) as far as that goes. And it's like, man, if you don't think you're on the right side of things with a topic like abortion, then just look at who is opposing it to keep it legal. That should be an eye-opening for anybody that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Christians and, and non-Christians. I want to move on real quick to um, to sin, a great topic mm-hmm. to transition into. But um, you say that sin, all sin separates us from God, but not all sin is the same. And mm-hmm. I think this is important regarding discernment and making decisions because of the consequences that we will pay for while we are here on earth. I like to say that, you know, um, you know, your salvation and eternity might be secure, but, you know, it might be hell on earth for you while you're paying for the consequences of the sins for making poor decisions. And so many Christians that I think are so focused on salvation alone and, and anything that happens after salvation is fine because I'm uh, one saved, always saved, and it doesn't matter what I do, but there is something to be said for discernment and making decisions that honor God. And also not just to honor God, which should be our main priority, but just to prevent us from having to go through the same old sins that uh, human human uh, kind does not seem to understand uh, are in the Bible to not do for a reason. So, can you expand upon that a little bit, and and you know how too much is given, much is required, as the Bible says, and how we should be good stewards and also be good, um, uh, be aware of why the Bible tells us not to do things for a reason. Yeah, there are several. I have a whole sermon on this, so I'll just keep it really short. But I probably watched that one when I made this question. <laughs> Christians disagree, or Christians um, sometimes say all sin separates us from God, which is true. But they also say all sin is the same, which of course isn't true. I yep. mean, there are different punishments in the Old and New Testaments for different severities of sin. And this just makes common sense, and even in our own jurisprudence system, right? Yep. You don't uh, lock up a guy for life for jaywalking, uh, you know, but you might lock him up for life for murder. Okay. Right. Uh, so there are different, different sins, different severity. And Jesus talks about the, what's the greatest commandment. What does that imply? Well, there are lesser commandments. Uh, Jesus talks about greater judgment and greater love that, what does that imply? Well, there's lesser judgment and lesser love. In yeah. fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, I think, where he's excoriating, maybe 22 or 23, was excoriating the Pharisees, where he says, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, mm. right? Yeah. You're, you're tithing your spices, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, love, faithfulness, these kind of things, right? So there is a hierarchy of, of commands and goods, and there's also a hierarchy of evils. Yeah. And God, since God is just, 
people who have not accepted the free gift of salvation and are still going to be punished for their sins, they're going to be punished at a different level of punishment in hell than, say, someone like Hitler, who had obviously much greater sins, because God is just. He's not going to punish everybody at the same level of punishment. And with regard to heaven, people are going to have different rewards in heaven. And some of us are going to lose rewards in heavens because because the evil we've done here. Yeah. And and so as Jesus said when he was talking about uh, to whom much is given much will be re- be required, he was essentially talking about what will happen in hell uh when people know what the right thing to do is and people who don't know what the right thing to do is as as much yeah. Uh, so people who know what the right thing to do is and have done evil, they're going to be beaten with more blows. And people who don't know as well, they're going to be beaten with fewer blows to whom much is given, much would be required. Why? Because that's what justice demands. Yeah. And so I, there's, there's people running around right now, Tim, as you know, talking about equity, that everyone should turn out, should uh, wind up with the same amount of stuff or the same amount of, uh, of opportunity or whatever. And uh, the same amount of power, the same amount of money. Do you know that equity has never been accomplished on earth and it never will be accomplished on earth and equity will never even be accomplished in heaven? I mean, think about the parable of the talents, right? This is about the final judgment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus says he's actually going to take talents from people that did nothing with them and give them to the ones that had more. That's not equity. That's the opposite of equity. That's justice. Yeah. This guy did nothing with his talent, so we're going to give it to the guy that actually did something with his, and he's going to take from the least and give to the person that has more. That's just justice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, before I came a pastor, you know, James 3, 1 rang in my head is, you know, teachers will be held accountable <laughs> to what you say and do. And it's, 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 we may not understand exactly what that will look like, but we can take it on faith that that's what's going to happen is we are going to mm-hmm. be held accountable to these things. And yep. I think too often when Christians are just so focused on the starting point in your race, which is salvation, which is the greatest decision you can ever make. There's so much that happens after that, that is important in when you try to manage sin without keeping a relationship with Jesus, you're going to fail because you're just following the 10 steps, the five steps to stop sinning instead of what, why I say, keep our eyes on Jesus daily, because when that's your focus, you're not going to have time for sin. Or when it comes up, you're going to be able to reject it and, and, and focus on Jesus. And that's why, and I've been in that in, in throughout my life too, you know, trying to manage sin and then repenting the next day and then going back to it Mm -hmm. and and over and over in the sin cycle can just degrade us spiritually instead of focusing truly on Jesus and being empowered by the Holy Spirit inside of us, who will then uh, allow us to resist, you know, the temptations, putting on mm-hmm. our spiritual mm-hmm. armor, all that fun stuff. So I love that. And um, last question I have for you, um, Dr. Frank, is uh, faith. Uh, going back to faith, you know, we all have faith in something. And I think it's important to talk about this because, you know, on one side, you have atheists that want a complete 100% clear picture of God, you know, basically conjure God up in front of them to be able to believe, you know, as if God was a science experiment. And then you have Christians that sometimes take everything on faith without being grounded in the word. And I think faith is important. It's kind of that bridge between what we know and what God knows, which is honestly an infinite bridge. But, you know, the more we can grow in our knowledge uh, does help, but there's also a measure of faith that's required. Uh, So you can talk about why faith is important uh, without never having all the answers, but uh, why we need to kind of rely on faith um, while also being grounded in truth. Sure. Well, again, it depends on the definition of faith. If if the definition of faith is trusting in what you have good evidence to believe, 
then what we mean by that is after you have evidence that Jesus is the Savior, then trusting in uh, what he's done and what he will do in the future, even though you don't have all perfect knowledge, yeah. right? This is what, of course, Hebrews 11 talks about, that these people had such trust in God, even though they, they, they didn't see what was coming. They mm-hmm. just trusted God because they had evidence that God was who he said he was. Yeah. And so, and C.S. Lewis famously points this out. He says, faith is necessary because you need faith in the sense, trust, to tell your emotions where to get off. <laughs> what, what did he mean by that? Because, look, we can be swayed by emotions. And when I think about doubts that I have about the Christian faith, I start to realize that most of my doubts are emotional. They're not intellectual. Yeah. In other words, it's because I'm having a bad day. I go, I don't even know if God exists. You know, you ever have those days? Right. You go, oh, come on. How yeah. can this be true? Right. And then I start realizing when I start realizing my, my doubts are emotional, I, I, I come back to the evidence and I say, well, the evidence says it's true. So whether my emotions are good or bad that day is irrelevant. In fact, when, when atheists, I see them on a college campus, they, they'll say, hey, Frank, I used to be a Christian, you know, but now I'm an atheist because I lost my faith. You know what I want to say to them? I want to mm. say, so? So are you telling me because your psychology changed that God has somehow popped out of existence? Mm. Yeah. Or because your psychology changed that Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Don't concentrate on your psychology. Your psychology can change with the weather or the bad pizza you ate last night, right? Concentrate on the evidence because your psychology is not going to tell you whether anything is true. Yeah. In fact, here's here's an example of this. There's a lot of people that fear flying, right? They will not get on an airplane. And because psychologically, they just can't bring themselves to do so. But the evidence shows that beyond any doubt, Aviation is the is the most it's the safest way to get anywhere. You're safer getting on a plane than getting in your driveway in your car. Yeah. Okay. Um, now it's it's completely a psychological problem to not get on an airplane. It's not because of the evidence. Right. Right. If you trust the evidence, you'll get on an airplane anytime. It, you know, if you have good evidence that people are maintained the plane, that the pilots are trained, all this, right? Um But there's a difference between believing that air travel is safe and trusting in that fact enough to actually get on the plane. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. (laughs) I have to remind myself when I get on a plane, it's going to be fine. I trust you, God. Put music or, you know, love to be knocked up. (laughs) Right. But you see that that, that's the difference between psychology and the evidence. The psychology is not going to tell you the truth necessarily, but the evidence will. So concentrate on the evidence. Yeah, that's really good. And, and people, I think when you, when you make those assumptions, like I don't believe in God anymore, therefore he doesn't exist. You know, we put all this power in our own beliefs and our thoughts that can just change the universe. And that's yeah, just logically, that's not how any of that works. God is real or he's not, you know, I can choose to not believe in that, but that doesn't change reality. And, you know, the, I mean, I like to use the, uh, you know, well, what are the ramifications of if you're wrong? You know, the, the, the classic what if and, and people don't Pascal's like that. Are, yeah, Pascal's wager. Yeah, yeah, Pascal's wager. And then they're like, well, what if all 42,000 religions are wrong? And they go down that road. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you know, um, having faith in, in, in God because the evidence is there and then strengthening ourselves. And I, I always say too, you know, discernment, um, uh, feelings are a terrible catalyst for discernment because our feelings, mm-hmm. uh, and if we're making decisions based on our feelings, we're going to go down a path that leads to um, death and not life. And so that's right. That's right. By the way, well, let me leave you one last thing that I think is important. 
when you're talking to people who are not Christians. I always yeah. ask them this question, particularly on a college campus. If an atheist gets up and to the microphone and expresses any hostility, I'll normally ask them, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Mm. And many times the atheist will say no. Mm. And I'll say, no, how's that reasonable? How's that rational? It's not. The problem is not here in their head. The problem's in their heart. They don't want it to be true. They don't yeah. want there to be a God. Why? Because they want to be God of their own lives. That's they're right. not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. Right. And so they're just going to believe whatever they think is going to make them happy. Now, the truth of the matter is the only way to get true contentment and happiness is to go straight through truth. And Jesus is the truth. But I think asking that question, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian, is a good way of clearing all the decks of all the emotional and moral and volitional objections to Christianity. Mm, yeah. To say, if it were true, would you become a Christian? And many of them are going to hesitate or they're going to say no. At that point, it doesn't matter how much evidence you give them. They're not interested. Yeah. Right? That's it's really not good. so much about the evidence for God's existence. It's about their resistance. They don't want God to exist. Yeah. And I think we have to remember too, when we talk to atheists or, or people that are challenging what we believe, you know, at the end of the day, it's not our job to convince them and change them. And we just have to plant the seeds and let the Holy Spirit do the work. And sometimes right. it takes a lot of conversations. Sometimes it takes years for God right. to finally get a hold of their heart. But at the, you know, we're not, uh, we don't have like these check marks. Like I've saved so many atheists today is like, cause we're not, we don't do the saving. We can just spread the word mm -hmm. and plant the seeds. So that's right. That's, that's a great right. way to end. And so I wanted to thank you, Dr. Frank, for coming on. If you can let everyone know where they can connect with you and get all your awesome resources. Sure. Crossexamined.org. That's one word crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. Also our YouTube channel has over a thousand short videos on it from the college campus crossexamined two words there. Uh, download our app. That's probably the easiest way. Two words in the app store, cross-examine. Everything goes through there. So uh, you can get our TV show there, our, our um, podcast. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You can also get a quick answer section there that's helpful to people. So check that out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was an honor to talk to you and God bless you and your ministry. Thank you, Tim. Same to you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Frank, so much for coming on the podcast. It was great talking with you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, would you please share it with a friend, leave a five-star review, as well as get my new book, Eyes on Jesus. It's a 90-day devotional, a great way to start the new year with an addition to your quiet time with Jesus. This podcast will be taking a break next week, the week after Christmas, but we will be back the week after that with more great content. So until then, enjoy your holidays, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.